Tonight, God has us in, back in the life of Elisha, 2 Kings, just a few verses tonight, verse 38. I'm going to pick up reading right there. This is the next scene in the life and ministry of Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 38. The Bible says, And Elisha came again to Gilgal. It says he came again because he had been there before. It's pretty deep, ain't it? When was he at Gilgal? Well, we know for sure he was at Gilgal when he was following Elijah. That was the first stop they made. And then they went to Bethel, and then they went to Jericho, and then uh, Jordan, and then Elijah goes up, and, and then Elisha parts those waters of uh, the, the waters of Jordan, and then he goes back to Jericho, and then he goes back to Bethel. Uh, Jericho, that's where he healed the poisonous waters. He goes back to Bethel. That's where uh, those kids got eaten by the bears. Remember that? And then he goes to... That's not funny. I don't know what... Y'all are sick. I don't know why y'all are laughing. And then, he go, and then he's back at Gilgal. Now, he's probably gone there many times. Looks like at all these places there is a school called the Sons of the Prophets, the School of the Prophets. And so Elisha is doing ministry. He's traveling to all these places. That's when he would have passed through Shunem multiple times, going back and forth to all these places. Uh, and meeting with these young men, teaching them. And so he'd teach over here at Gilgal and then at Bethel and then at Jericho and Jordan. And so he would go around to these different schools, if you will. There's about a hundred young men, hundred prophets that are here. And we get that number from the next text that comes along, uh, which we'll get to that uh, in a couple weeks, Lord willing. But, uh, and so here he is. He comes again to Gilgal. And there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, Set on the great pot, and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild gourds his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat. And it came to pass, as they were eating of the pottage, that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. But he said, Then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot. And he said, pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. I want to preach just for a minute on this thought, a recipe for disaster. Because that's exactly what we have here. We have a meal gone bad. And uh, we have some lessons to learn from this meal gone bad. Elisha is in Gilgal in a classroom setting teaching these sons of the prophets. And I want you to notice just a few things that we find just uh, by way of introduction from this text tonight. First of all, I want you to see the faithful crowd. I see a faithful crowd in this text. There are a hundred young men and they are sitting in their place at the feet of uh, the greatest teacher alive at that moment. I would imagine Elisha, the man of God, This speaks about humility of these young men. They're willing to listen. They're willing to learn. They're willing to sit and 
and, uh, and be trained and be mentored. You know, it seems like we have a generation these days that they feel like they know everything. Isn't that right? But that's not true. We need to sit. We need to listen. We need to learn. Every one of us. By the way, you never stop learning. Isn't that right? Or you never should stop learning. Um, we all, none of us have arrived. We all have new things that we need to know. Not new, uh, out of the blue new, but new to us. Things we don't know. Nobody's arrived. There's nothing new under the sun, of course, but there are new things to us. And this Bible is inexhaustible. Aren't you thankful for that? You can't learn it all. You don't ever graduate. There are no scholars in God's school. There are students and uh, he is the master teacher. And we sit at his feet and learn and listen. And uh, every one of us ought to be doing that. What a faithful crowd. And we see that it is even a time of famine. There is a dearth in the land. Verse number 38 tells us that it is a, it's a tough time. It's a dry time. It's an empty time. And yet I find that they're still there, faithful. And that says something, doesn't it? Faithful in the empty times. Faithful in the dry times. And I, I'm thankful for those that are. And uh, that's a blessing. So we see a faithful crowd, these, this student body that is sitting at the feet of Elisha. And then I want you to know Notice secondly, just by way of introduction, uh, not only the faithful crowd, but the fatherly care that I see here. I love how Elisha, no doubt uh, 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 spiritual education is a priority. No doubt learning the Word of God is a priority. Knowing God, learning how to exercise their gift in the right way. These are all priorities, no doubt about that. And yet, he takes time to stop and, uh, and, and care for their physical needs. He says somebody needs, and maybe Elisha himself, was getting hungry. And he says, somebody needs to set on the great pot. Now, he didn't say sit on the great pot, all right? It's set on the great pot. That means make some supper, all right? And he tells his servant Gehazi to do that. And, uh, and so make some lunch. And I, and I just thought about this. I was thinking about that. Man, spiritual needs, physical needs. A lot of times we get super spiritual and we think one's better than the other. But listen, our Heavenly Father knows we have both. Isn't that right? And He cares for both of those things. In fact, when, when Jesus taught His disciples how to pray, in that prayer there is spiritual things. There's praying for the kingdom of God to come. There's praying for God's will to be done. There's praying for forgiveness of sins and forgiving the trespasses of others and all that. But before He gets in to any of those things, the first, one of the first things he prays for is what? Give us this day our daily bread. You know why? Because you need bread every day. Isn't that right? He didn't say give us this day our daily vegetables. Say amen right there. He said our daily bread. Amen. We need something to eat every day unless we're fasting or something like that. God knows we're not going to live too long without food. Now life is more than that, but it's not any less than that. And to think that God isn't concerned about your physical needs is absolutely wrong. That's absolutely wrong. God is concerned about both. In fact, He tells us to pray for that bread before He even tells us to ask forgiveness for our sins. Does that mean eating bread is more important than, than asking forgiveness for sins? No, but God knows our friends. He knows how we are, and he knows if we're hungry, ain't no use asking. No, ain't no use of confessing sin if we're hungry. Amen. Might as well go ahead and get that out of the way and, and let God know. Listen, you can't be fake in prayer. God knows your heart. Ain't no use trying to pray for all the you know spiritual things and then say, oh, and Lord, you know, if you get a chance, meet these other needs. No, God knows what we're thinking about. He knows what's on the forefront of our heart. He knows what's bothering us. He knows what's troubling us. Go ahead and ask Him. Listen, if you need some money to pay a bill, ask Him. Amen. If you need groceries, 
ask them. Amen. If you got, if you need a good, if you need some help in the health department, ask God. Ask God for healing. It's okay. God cares about our. He loves us as a father loves his children times a, a thousand, times infinity, and I thank God for that. A faithful crowd, fatherly care. Elijah, Elisha is taking care of their physical needs, but then we see this meal goes bad, doesn't it? We see the frightened cry here. This pottage is made and served, and there's a cry that rings throughout the campus. It was noticed immediately that something's wrong with this soup. Something's wrong with this pottage. It's poisonous. There's death in the pot. Now, it doesn't seem like anybody died immediately from it. It doesn't seem like people were falling over dead. If, if, if there were, maybe there'd be some healing in this text. Maybe there'd be some more resurrections. Elisha just got done raising a boy from the dead. I don't see that. I don't think people were falling over exactly uh, dead right there, but, but uh, some commentators uh, speculate that maybe from the bitter taste, uh, possibly uh, uh, the effects that these wild gourds would have that had been put slipped into this... Uh, pot. Uh, there was uh, a lot of wide speculation, nausea and other things. Uh, and people might, I don't want to get too graphic, but people might be uh, expressing uh, sick feelings all around the campus there. And so people realize there's something going on uh, with this soup. This is wrong. This is bad. This is no good. And they cry out. The problem wasn't that people were falling over dying. The problem was they didn't have nothing to eat. There wasn't nothing to eat. You think, well, that's fine. Just make another, make some more pottage. You know, just go to the store. They're in a dearth. They're in a famine. Uh, food is very important. See, we don't, we, we have a hard time, uh, we have a hard time uh, identifying with that, don't we? Because when you need food, whoop, there it is, right? It's just always right there. Uh, I was joking. I've, I've been preaching a lot about uh, the garden in the Song of Solomon, and I've been preaching that wherever I go last couple of weeks. And I always, I always tell people, you know, I make fun of myself. I don't grow a garden. I like, why in the world would you need a garden when you have Walmart and Chick Fil A? Somebody say, man, right there. We don't, I don't grow food. You know why? Because I don't need to. I've never sat in the drive-through at Chick Fil A and thought, you know what? I'd rather be planting a garden right now. I really would rather be doing that. Nobody ever thought that. I don't think that. I'm used to, if you need it, go. And right now, praise God, we live, a, you know, a mile and a half from Walmart. If you need it, just go around the corner and find it. Get it. Bring it home. It's a blessing. Amen. Um, but in this society, it wasn't that way. Even on the best of times, food was a... Um, uh, food was not as abundant as far as just the, it's just the, the food security, I guess we should say. That just we take for granted that it's just always there and it's always going to be there. You know, these people sort of, so how many of y'all still got food buckets from Y2K that y'all stored up? Anybody, be honest now, raise your hand. All right. I have a bunch of liars in here. Some of y'all, some of y'all got that stuff. <laughs> some of y'all got some of that stuff. I'm going to be honest, that stuff they, you know, they put, you know, just in case of the zombie apocalypse or whatever, and they put that stuff aside and they put it back. I'm going to be honest, looking at that stuff in them five-gallon buckets, I'd rather just get eaten by a zombie, okay? Just rip my head off. That's fine. I'm done. If I got to eat that in a five-gallon bucket to live, you know, I'm done. I'm just, I'd rather just go on to heaven, amen, eat on, the, eat on the, the, from the tree of life or whatever, you know, just ready to get on out of here. Food was a big deal. And now the meal that they had, food scarce as it was, and now it's ruined. What are they going to do? This is a, they're literally panic. It's not just the sickness. It's beyond that. It's more than the sickness. It's uh, that this meal has absolutely been ruined. And, and now what are they going to do? 
We know, of course, verse 39 gives us the backstory as to what happened. One of the students decided to go on a little adventure and try to help out. <clears throat> he gathered bad ingredients. He unknowingly uh, gathered these wild gourds. It says a lapful, I think is what it says. Yeah, a lapful. Probably had his, probably had his robe and he just pulled it up and just gathered all the, all the wild gourds. He thought, man, nobody's eating these. There's a bunch of these here. Well, there might be a reason nobody had been touching those. But anyway, he grabbed those and he takes them and nobody's looking and he, he slices them up and dices them up and he throws them in the great pot. And he's the culprit. He's the bad guy. No doubt when people are uh, having trouble, I'm sure he's feeling a little guilty, feeling a little bad about it. And here he is. The one, we don't know his name, verse 39 just calls him the one. And he ruined the whole thing. Well, what can we learn from this text? I thought about a couple things. Number one, never trust church suppers ever at all. It's a bad idea. Say amen, Brother Thad. I know he's a little weary of that stuff. Uh, number two, I thought about another application we can make from this text is that uh, just stay away from vegetables in general. That's just a bad idea. I got Bible for it, and uh, you just never know. Never know. Vegetables are dangerous. I don't even let my kids watch Veggie Tales. That's how much we are against vegetables at our house. But no, seriously, maybe there's maybe there's more of a spiritual application to be made here. I think so. I think so. I think there's a lot of things that we can learn from. This text, and one of the most simplistic applications we can make from these verses here is that you better be careful what you put in. What you put in, it comes out and it affects people. And our, our, you know, the Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs that we are to keep our heart with all diligence. Isn't that right? Guard your heart. That's what it means to keep your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it are the issues of life. Issue, that's talking like streams, rivers, things that come out of that. Whatever you put in, it's going to come out somewhere. We preached a little bit about that this morning too, didn't we? Whatever you put in, it's going to come out. And the people that you influence, they, they, they drink from your life. They, 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 they partake of your life when they sit under your influence. And if you put bad things in, if you put harmful things in, it's going to harm you and other people around you, people that drink out of your life. You see, our hearts are like this giant pot here. And the ingredients that we choose to put in our hearts create healthy meals for other people or they create harmful meals for the people that we come in contact with. you got to be careful what you put in your heart. Because if you don't, there'll be death in the pot. You're either a life giver or you're a death giver, a life taker. And it all depends on what you put in your heart. And what this man did, I want to look at him just for a minute tonight, verse 39. And what this man did, he literally showed us how to ruin a meal, and not just how to ruin a meal, but by application, he shows us how to ruin our lives and the lives of others. Ingredients for this recipe for disaster. You follow this guy's example right here, and you will have a fresh batch of heartache whipped up real quick. And so I want to look at a couple things about this man before we go home tonight. How did he come up with this recipe for a great disaster? Number one, 
I want to say that we find, first of all, that there was independence in his life. Independence in his life. You say independence, that's a good thing. Well, just depending on what you're independent from. Um, I'm noticing in this text, now again, I don't want to read too much into this text, but it seems like as we look in verse 38, there's a classroom scene that is going on. You have Elisha, he is speaking, he is teaching about a hundred young men here, and as he is teaching them, these young prophets, they are sitting at his feet listening, and Elisha stops his instruction, and he looks over at his servant. That's what the Bible says in verse number 38. And he said, and look what he says, and he said unto his servant. That's Gehazi, he said over to his servant, set on the great pot and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. He told his servant, go get lunch. Go put lunch on. Go start preparing lunch. And the Bible tells us in verse number 39, and one went out into the field. I want to ask this one that went out into the field, what in the world are you doing out in the field? Isn't he supposed to be sitting at the feet of Elisha? Nobody asked him to go out. Nobody asked him to help. It plainly says in verse number 38 that Elisha said to his servant, not servants, it's his servant. It's Gehazi. It's the one who's been noted as his servant before this text and he will be noted as his servant after this text. And uh, that is the one that has been given the task. But this one, what does he do? He takes it upon himself to help with the meal. And it may seem like a noble task. And I'm sure his... I'm sure his... uh, uh, motives were absolutely sincere. I don't think he went out to put laxatives in the meal for everybody. I don't think that was his goal when he went out of the field. He probably just thought, you know what? I'm going to help. I'm going to do what I can to help. But how many of you know this? How many times have you thought you were helping God and helping the situation, but you were actually hurting the situation? You know why? Because when you move independent of the Word of God and independent of the will of God and independent of direction for your life that comes from God, I'm here to tell you, you're going to make a mess. That is a recipe for disaster is what that is. He had no direction from his authority in that area. Nobody asked him to get up. Nobody asked him to go out into the field. Nobody asked him to gather ingredients. Nobody asked him to cut it up. And nobody asked him to slide it in the pot when nobody was looking. I'm here to tell you, this man moved independently of any authority, any direction, any clear word of God on his life. And that is always a recipe for disaster. I'm here to tell you, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, they may be simple, familiar verses but they will keep you from so much trouble. It ain't even funny. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine what? Own understanding. Now, I'll tell you, listen, our understanding makes so much sense 99% of the time until we mess up everything and then we say, what was I thinking? But I'm here to tell you, this man, he leaned to his own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean on to thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. I know that's simple. I know we know those verses, but man, wouldn't that save us from so much trouble in our life? Wouldn't that save us from so much disaster? Can you ever think about some times that you went out on your own? You, you, you may not have had malice in your heart. You may not have had bitterness in your heart. You may not have had ill will in your heart. It, it may not have had rebellion in your heart. You weren't just rebelling against the Word of God, but you moved on your own instead of waiting for direction, instead of asking God, instead of getting some direction for your life, and you moved independently on your own and you ruined a lot of things. 
I can think of times like that. I had regret in my life. In fact, I'd say oh, most of the regret I have in my life comes from doing stuff on my own. I'll tell you, I'm nothing on my own. Man on his best day, I mean, we're altogether vanity. We're absolutely nothing. Isn't that right? At our very best day, we don't know what God knows. We can't see what God sees. You can't see the road up ahead. And I know it may be hard just to sit there and be in your place and sit there with everybody else sitting at the feet of Elisha, listening to the Word of God. This boy thought he was special maybe. Thought, man, you know what? I just want to help the situation. And no doubt he did. But he ended up almost killing some people and at least giving them a really, really bad day. Isn't it amazing? It says one. Isn't it amazing how the one affects the many? Just the one. That's what he's called. He's called the one. We don't know his name. He's just one and one. He went out. But the one affected the many. One person acting independently from God's will can affect the entire crowd. That's why every one of it's not you getting on the same page with me and me getting on the same page with you. You need to be on the same page with God. I need to be on the same page with God. And then we'll move together. Isn't that right? There is no independent. I know we're independent, fundamental, bad, you know, temperamental, judgmental, all that kind of stuff. I know we're independent. Well, listen, we don't need to be that independent, amen. We need to be dependent. We need to be dependent on the Word of God, dependent upon the will of God. And that is exactly opposite of what this world is always preaching. This world shoves down our throat all the time. Do what you want to be. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. You can be whoever you want. This World, our society that we live in, one of the greatest virtues of our society is independence. Is self-autonomy, do what you want to do. Every, every Disney movie since 1942 has been preaching that thought right there. It's nothing new. Every one of them. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to Find out who you are on the inside and just do it. No, 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 no. I'm telling you what. If you, want a, if you want a recipe for disaster, if you want to ruin your life in short order, try to figure out who you are from the inside and then try to, try to just be whoever you want to be. I'm telling you, that's horrible advice right there. You'll become a prisoner to your own confused identity. You don't know who you are. Your heart is desperately wicked. You can't even know it. You know the only reason I know who I am? Because I look in my Bible. I need God to tell me who I am. I need God to tell me what I need to do. I need God to tell me where I need to go. I need God. You know why? Because I'm not independent. I'm dependent. I don't need to get up all willy-nilly and do what I want to do, even if it's good motives. You can be sincere and be what? Absolutely. You say, well, I was just trying to do what was best. Quit trying to do what was best and do what's biblical. You don't know what's best. God knows what's best. Amen. Independence was one of the ingredients that was really a recipe for disaster. I'll give you another one real quick. Not only independence, isolation. Isolation. The Bible says, and what? One went out into the field. You know what he did? He went by himself. This man went all by himself. Just one. Just one. He's referred to as one. He's all by himself. He had nobody to help him. He had nobody to warn him. He had no one to second guess him. He had nobody to disapprove. You know, I tell you, disapproval is a wonderful thing. Sometimes you need people to disapprove of what you're doing. I tell you, this world's going to hell and a lot of our kids are crazy and mixed up and messed up because they've never had anybody disapprove of what they're doing. 
Everybody, they've never had anybody to push back. Never had anybody to, to say no. They've never had anybody to disagree. They've always been told, you're always right. You're always good. You're always special. Whatever you say is right. If you think 2 plus 2 equals 14, then that's fine. I'm here to tell you, that's not true. Amen. If, you want to be a, if you're born a girl, but you want to be a boy. If you're born a boy, but you want to be a, That's where all that stems from. There's somebody in isolation all about thinking that they themselves in a vacuum know what truth is all by themselves. This man was unchecked. This man was unaccompanied. This man was unaccountable to anybody. He was just one, flying solo, all by himself. By the way, that's why we need the church. That's why God put us together. You know why? Because isolated, we're going to get picked off. We're going to get deceived. That's a re- isolation is a recipe for disaster, my friend. If you, if you want to ruin your life and ruin your home, isolate yourself all by yourself. No, we need each other. Amen. Amen. We need accountability. I love this proverb, Proverbs 18, 17. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just. You know what that means? That means when you come up with an idea, it's the greatest idea you've ever had. I thought, man, this is, the, man, this is great. This is what I'm going to do. This is the greatest. And you got it all figured out in your mind. But I love the last part of that verse. It says, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. <laughs> you know what? We need some nosy neighbors, don't we? We need some nosy neighbors to come in and search us and say, man, I got this great idea. Man, here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do this. And sometimes we need somebody to look in and just say, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. If this man had a partner that had any... Now, I wouldn't have been a good partner. I'd have looked up and said, man, them gourds look good. Let's go for it, you know. Uh, I don't know what's wild and what ain't. (laughs) It all looks wild to me, all right. Uh, but if he had anybody else with him that was a little knowledgeable about what was going on, he could have went and reached for, got one of them wild vines and reached for one of them wild gourds and putting it in his lap over here, putting it in his, uh, on, his, on his robe there. And, and if he had anybody with him at all, that other person could have come by and said, Hey, whoa, what are you doing, man? You don't want to eat them. I ate one of them one time when I was a kid. It ain't good. Let me tell you something right now. You don't want to, you don't want to touch that stuff. If he had anybody. But he snuck off, independent, his own will, his own way, his own idea. He snuck off, isolated, just one. I'm here to tell you, if you isolate yourself, you're easy to pick off, you're easy to deceive, you're easy to destroy. We need accountability. Jesus said, or God said about his own creation, he looked at Adam, he said, it's not good for a man to be alone. Everything he loved, he created that. Ooh, that's good. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Ooh, that's good. And then he saw a man all by himself. Hmm, that ain't good. That ain't good. It's not good for him to be alone. You need some people. You know why God gave Adam a wife? Because it was not good. He needed a help, meet a help that was suitable, a help that was appropriate for him to help him. And, and I'm going to tell you something. Uh, you need some people in your life that can speak truth to you and be honest with you without you getting mad at them. I'm going to tell you something. People, listen, we, we idolize ourselves. We think we're way up here. And if anybody ever second guesses us, I'm not talking about the pastor. He's always right. But everybody else... Listen, everybody, if we second guess one bit, it would fit, we're going to get on Facebook and say, well, they're just haters, you know. And they, uh, that church, they hate. if we push back on anybody, that church, they're so judgmental and they hate everybody and they hate babies and they hate puppies and they hate everybody. 
It's like, no, we just thought the way you're living ain't a good idea. We love you. We're trying to help you. The best thing you can do is just be accountable to somebody. I thank God. I got some men of God in my life. Man, I thank God for them. <laughs> Whew, you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know, I thank God, that have helped me through some confusing times of my world just upside down. I didn't know what I was doing. And they kept me from doing some foolish things because they were willing to say, hey, Chris, maybe, maybe that's not the problem. Maybe, maybe you're the problem. <laughs> You don't cut those kind of people out of your soul. Oh, I, don't, I don't need, that's, that's usually when people, they say, well, I don't need those toxic people in my life. <laughs> You're a narcissist is what you want. Maybe they're not toxic. Maybe they love you and they're trying to help you. Isolation's a bad, and, and these people, you finally keep cutting every, people cut people and cut people out of their life. Everybody that pushes back or says anything negative about any decisions they make, they cut this person and cut that person and cut that, and they keep cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting until one day they're sitting all by themselves and they say, nobody likes me. Nobody loves me. That church abandoned me. Well, no, you just kept cutting out people that try to be honest with you and truthful with you. Isolation is a horrible thing. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's a recipe for disaster. Independence. Isolation. One last one and I'm done tonight. Ignorance. Ignorance. This man gathered wild gourds. Why? Because he didn't know they were wild gourds. If he'd have known, he wouldn't have got them, right? In fact, that's what the text says. At the end of verse number 39, he cut them up, he put them into the pot, and it says, for they, what? Knew them not. The them there is the, for they knew them. The them is the wild gourds that had been cut up. They didn't know. Nobody knew. No, nobody knew that he had put them in there. He didn't know what he had got. He, he, it was just ignorance on his part. He could not differentiate. He could not distinguish. He had no, we would call it discernment, right? He could not discern what was helpful and what was harmful. He could not discern what was good and what was bad. He had, had no discernment. He could not tell the difference between the harmful and the healthy. And I want to tell you something, a lack of discernment is absolutely killing us. Killing our people, killing our homes, killing our churches. We've got to be able to detect. I'll tell you, it's killing our nation. On a, if you want to just get, can I just get political just for a second? Listen, you open the borders and you let just everything and anything come across, we're going to collapse. I mean, that's just, that's just logic. Isn't that right? You open the borders up and just say, everybody, come on, as long as you vote Democrat. Come on, girls. And by the way, that's what it's all about. They don't give a rip about the country. They don't give a rip about those people. They don't give a rip about the people that are in the country. They only care about one thing, and that's staying in power, and that's it. And the only reason the people on the other side are mad about it is because their power's threatened. They don't care about you either. How do you like them apples? Left wing, right wing, they're all part of the same old bird, amen? No matter. It's all, they, only have one, they, only, they only have one objective, that's to get into power, and then they, only have, a, uh, and then they have a new objective, and that's to stay in the power. They'll sell you out. They'll sell out their own kids. They don't care. Ain't nothing different between them and the Herods in the New Testament that would kill their own kids to solidify power and do whatever they had to do. They don't care. It's all the same. It's the same, it's the same demons. 
People have changed, the names have changed, cultures have changed, times have changed, but them principalities and those princes of the powers of the air and all that, don't get me started on all that, they are still in operation. And it's the same ones and the same kind. They just, they're just filling different vessels these days. All right, I don't know how I got off on all that, but that felt really good to say. What I'm saying is, he's open. I'm talking about open borders, yeah. Just let anything across. Let everything across and let them all in. It's fine. I'm here to tell you, we got so many church folk. They get mad at that. They'll yell at Fox News and they'll cuss and fuss and throw things about the borders and then they let anything and everything in their life. What about your borders? Huh? How about, how about building some walls in your life? You want Trump to build a wall, but you let anything and everything in. We need some discernment. We need some tests. We need some checkpoints where we inspect and we say, Hey, who are you? What are you going to do? What's going on? What's the end result? I need to pray about this. I need to read my Bible. I need to talk to my, uh, uh, my, uh, my, my pastor or my Sunday school teacher or my mom or my dad. I need, and we just let anything. This anything goes mentality. I'll tell you what it is. It's a recipe for disaster. It's what it is. And it's just people don't know. They don't know. They're ignorant. They have no discernment in their life. They're not able to detect when something is wild. They just put it in. They just let it in their ears, let it in their eyes, let it in their heart. Either they don't know or they don't care. You know, the Bible says in Hosea 4, my people are destroyed for what? Lack of knowledge. Proverbs 19, also that the soul be without knowledge. It's not good. I'm here to tell you, friend, what you don't know can kill you. What you don't know can't hurt you. Ignorance is not bliss. I say that jokingly all the time. Ignorance is bliss. But I'm telling you, it's not. Ignorance is pain. Ignorance is heartache. And you just let anything and everything into your life, you're going to ruin your life. And it don't just affect you. You remember, the one affected the many. You're going to affect your children. You're going to affect your church. You're going to affect your community. You're going to ruin a potential harvest that you could have had for the glory of God. I'm here to tell you, it absolutely makes a difference. You know what we need to do? We need to do what Paul told the church at Thessalonica. We need to prove all things, all of it. You know what that means? Test it. Test it all. You know, if that man, obviously uh, most of the commentators I read behind said something about uh, it having a bitter taste. You know, all it would have taken is maybe for him just to get just a little bit, just a little bite. Just put it in. Ooh. Now, something's wrong with that. That ain't right. I can tell from the taste. Because they knew automatically when they tasted that soup, they knew something wasn't right. Maybe he could have as well if he'd have proved it. If he'd test, maybe if he'd have showed it to somebody. Maybe if he'd have let somebody know what he was doing. If he wasn't so isolated. If he wasn't so independent. Maybe if he'd have just stayed in this place, in the, in the, uh, stayed in his spot in the first place. Maybe, maybe a crisis would have been averted. I'm going to tell you, these things are mistakes, missteps. And they are a recipe for disaster. Prove all things with the Word of God. Don't just put anything into your heart. Don't just let anybody into your life without testing it, testing them first. You don't have to be a jerk about it. But you can stand on this Bible and just say, Hey, I'm going I'm to filter my life through the Word of God. If you do, you'll save yourself a lot of heartache. Let me go back to my little... Miss Maddie, you can come around. I'm, I'm done tonight. But let me go back to my little uh, introductory outline here. There was, I, there was a faithful crowd. There was a fatherly care. 
He cared for them, provided a meal for them. There was the frightened cry. They're all, they're all um, scared. There's death in the pot. But then I'm glad that's not where the story ends. Aren't you thankful there's help? There, there's, a, there's a forgiving cure, isn't there? I'm thankful for the cure that is in this text. Elisha said in verse 41, he said, Bring me meal, bring meal. And he cast in the pot, and he said, Pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. I just thought, you know what that is? That's grace right there. You know, if I was that one <laughs> that messed it all up, and you see people hurting and in pain and, and, and all kind of things going on because of what you did, I don't know how that man felt. I, it's not in the text, but I'm just telling you, if it was me, I'll tell you how I'd feel. I'd be hiding in a corner somewhere. I'd be like, oh, man. I, it's like the, I, was, I can't remember, was it, was it a football game or a basketball something, a game I was watching? I think it was a football game. I think it was the playoffs not too long ago, NFL playoffs. I don't remember what they get. I don't remember what the guy did. Maybe it was the Cincinnati Bengals. I can't, it's coming back to me now a little bit. But the guy, he, he, he got it. I mean, just right there at the end of the game, they're trying to win the game before the time expires. They're down a couple points. I mean, they could, they, they, it, it, victory is within grasp if they, if they run their plays right. And the old boy, I don't know what he did, some kind of penalty, stepped out of bounds, some kind of penalty, something. I don't remember what it was now. But whatever he did, he cost his team the victory. I remember watching. Oh, man, it was bad. You should have seen him on that bench. He was almost a grown man. A grown man making millions of dollars. A grown man who made more in that game than you will in the next 10 years combined, probably. And he's crying his eyes out on that bench. Like a, he, looked like, he looked like the, uh, the, when, they, when them kids lose the T-ball World Series or whatever, you know. They make them look like professionals on ESPN, you know, playing a little little league baseball. But when they lose, they all cry. I think it's hilarious. And that old that girl, that boy, he's a grown man, just crying his out. You know why? Because he knew his actions cost everybody. That's the way this boy is. The one affected the many. His bad decision. But you know what? Here comes Elisha. And he says, "I'll tell you what I'll do. Bring me some meal." You say, "Man, what is it about meal?" Nothing, no, no more than what it was about salt that they put in. The, it was just what God used. It was a, it was a tangible a, a, a manifestation, just, a, just a, a, something you could see to, to see how God works and what God does. And he put that in there, and guess what? It, it changed. It rearranged the properties miraculously of that, of that pottage and made everything safe to eat. Probably made it taste better. Probably, it probably tasted like pizza when he got done. That's just the way God works, ain't it? Take something nasty, make it wonderful. You know what that is? That's the grace. That's a testimony to this fact right here. God can take your mess. I can't tell you how many times I've blown it. (laughs) I was the one that messed it all up. But aren't you glad we have a God? This boy, he's not berated, he's not belittled, he's not yelled at. Elisha doesn't, you know, hang his picture up on the loser wall of the academy. This man's blunder is just simply fixed by a merciful God. And I'm glad we have a God that can take our messes and make miracles out of them.
And he can do that for you. You say, preacher, I'm that one. I, man, I, every bad ingredient, I've put it in the pot. Every bad, I've messed up people. I've, I've hurt people. I did all that. That's fine. I, I mean, it's not fine. I understand what you say. But, but here, listen to what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is there's, you can't mess it up so bad that God can't fix it. And you know what God did? Elisha didn't say, all right, everybody roll up your sleeves. Everybody, everybody come around, come on. Roll up your sleeves. All right, we got to get all the wild gourds out of this pot. You ready? Put your snorkel on. Let's go. Let's go bobbing for wild gourds, all right? This stuff has been sliced. It's been diced. It's been put in this pot. You're not going to get the bad out. And I tell you, listen, when you make mistakes a lot of times, listen, you don't get it back. When it's done, it's done. You can't go back. If you had a time machine, if you had a DeLorean and a flux capacitor, you could go back and change things, but you can't. God's not going to look in your life and say, all right, well, you just got to undo everything that you did. Well, that's, that's a little more complicated than what. A lot of people think that's what repentance is, you know, just trying to undo everything you did. Listen, there's some things you can't, when you ring a bell, you can't unring a bell. It's done. But I'm glad God ain't trying to get all the bad out. He said, no, let's just put some good in. It's called the power of replacement. You can't undo, you can't get out all that bad stuff. I tell you, take, take good. You know what, and I thought about that meal. I don't know if there's anything spiritual about it, but I did think about this. You know what meal is? That meal, it's flour is what that is. It's ground. It's something, it's the opposite of that wild gourd. That wild gourd just appeared. It just happened. And it, it, it's, it's the result of a sin-cursed world. Sin did that. The curse on the ground made it, made it noxious, made it poisonous, made it harmful, and, and made it bitter to the taste. That's what, that's what the curse did. But you know what meal is? It's the opposite of that. It's something that is planted on purpose. It is something that is gathered on purpose. It is something that is tested. That, that, that wheat, what they do is they grind it and they... And, and and they, and they press it and they, and, and, they, and they sift it is what they do. Get all the impurities, all the chaff and everything out of that stuff. It is something that has been the opposite of all that. It's not wild. It's cultured. It is, it is, it is sifted and it is, it's, the very, it's the very embodiment of what discernment is. And, and God took what was intentional and took, took what, was, what was healthy and took what was, was absolutely uh, uh, wonderful and he put it in that pot and it made everything good. And I'm going to tell you something. We have something that's tried. We have something that's wonderful. We have the Word of God. And we have the grace of God. I'll tell you, don't, don't spend your time trying to get the bad out. You'll spend all your... Listen, if you spend your life trying to do that, you'll, ne- you'll never get it right. What you need to do is you need to put the good in. You need to put the grace of God in. You just keep pouring that into your life. You just keep putting that in. I'll tell you what it'll do. Ultimately, God will take it and miraculously change the properties of your entire heart. It's the power of replacement is what it is. And that's just a testimony of what God can do. He can take the bad and He can make it good. He can take the harmful and He can make it healthy. If there's anything good in your life, if anybody's drank out of your heart, drank out of your well, drank out of your life, and they've got any help at all, it's only because God has done a work of grace in your life. But apart from that, we're all a mess, ain't we? And if you want to make sure your life is a mess, do these things like it. Make the mistakes this boy did. That's a recipe for disaster.